0: Alright, so that outro music, intro and outro music that Greg picked was uh, the music at the end of the. Episode 7. Episode of 7 of Legion. Yeah. And it's The Grassy Knoll. I dug that kind yeah. of music. So here, on Amazon Music has one of their albums Electric Verde Land Volume 1, The Grassy Knoll. And this and You is... started with the second.
1: The, 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 the first one is. is, uh, the, the first thing you played was
0: the, the Art of Fear, which is the name yeah, of the song. That's actually track number seven. Oh, okay. So we'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so let's talk time crystals, huh? It sounds like something, uh, like you put next to your Himalayan salt lamp or something like that. There is, so
1: it, it comes to, so it's it's a little hard to explain. This is a big thing that, that, that uh, happened scientifically in the past couple of weeks. What uh, was the introduction of something called time crystals, and it's hard to explain exactly what they are because they're not um, not easy to explain. But the idea is, if you think about what a crystal is, it's some mm-hmm. sort of periodic construct in space. Okay. So, like a salt crystal is a square, right? mm-hmm. basically, that right. is periodic in space. The idea behind a time crystal is some kind of, uh, periodic, uh, periodic value in time.
0: Okay. Uh, in, is it like the atomic unit or is it bigger? Or like no, no,
1: it's bigger. Okay. in, in the case of what, so this was originally proposed by a guy named Frank Wilczek, who is a, a physicist, theoretical physicist, and he proposed this idea of time crystals. Which the so when you think about a state, hmm. how do I?
0: These don't have a spatial component to them. Do they, do. Oh, they, they do. They do have a spatial yes, component. Yes. Yes. Oh,
1: okay. Um, the the key concept is one of the symmetry. When you think about a. Time, boy, how do, how do you explain this? Such a it's such a hard concept to to bring about. So there's a regularity to the crystalline structure of a crystal, and that's a structure that's in space. What if there was a regularity to, let's say, spin states, but that changed over time? But there would still be a regularity to it, so that. There would be sort of like a wave of spin states going through an atom. Okay, so if I think of this like this way, there are mm-hmm. nine atoms, and there's sort of a wave of down atoms that go through them it's three at a time, and it propagates, and it over it propagates over and over again, the same pattern. So it moves from starts with three down and six up, and True. then goes one up. Three down, and five up. Right. So, so that that basically, it's this orderly propagation that then continues to happen through time. So it goes to the end, it goes wraps around the beginning. Goes to the end, wraps around the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that when this is imposed, that this concept, that this would resist changes to it so if you tried to change it it would there'd be like forces that occur that try to resist this change now it turns out that you can't do it with just a stable atom that it doesn't have any energy being put into it that was proven by several papers but then uh, then some uh experimentalists came along and said well what if you're applying energy to something can you get a state like this where there's an orderly progression that just goes around and around and around over and over again, uh, that then resists attempts to change it? And it turns out, yes, you can. Okay. So this is what what was created was essentially, and we talked about this last time, where lasers are focused. You know, they're focused electromagnetic magnetic beams. That's the the key to to understanding a laser is that it's 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 a focused radiation of electromagnetic, which, and that means you can adjust charges, so you can then set up this kind of situation in in a crystalline sense. And once this is set up, and then you you keep an energy applying, you keep applying the energy to keep this si- system in. If you then try to introduce some other energy, this system resists changes. So the other energy that put that that's getting put in this orderly system actually it. And that's what they've found. Which is actually very interesting because think about what you can do with that uh, from computing, for example. Uh, an active energy is an example of... Uh, a good example is memory, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have, you're you constantly refreshing memory. The, right. the, the RAM that's in your computer is being constantly refreshed, basically nanosecond from nan- by nanosecond, because mm-hmm. otherwise it would disappear. But what if you could set up a structure that you didn't have to like constantly refresh everything and you know, then you know, mm-hmm. structure the charges, but it would keep this, just a low-level energy would keep this structure, and then it would also be hard for things to influence it and to change that right. structure. That's useful. Yeah, That could be sure. useful in some way. Another thing I came up with, just, just a concept I was coming up with, it was... Self-healing materials. Imagine if you had some chemical structure that also had some sort of this thing going on, and then something cracked it, like glass. But that glass would prefer to be back into its original uh, solution, so you could then it would heal itself. Mm-hmm. Now we're not we're nowhere near that area yet, but this is an interesting and cool start down that lane. Okay. So if you ever if you read about time crystals cuz all the all the stuff was really hard to understand this is kind of the the, the thing they're, they're manipulating spin states to get this orderly uh, kind of harmonic
0: okay but it's not it doesn't. It's it, it, not. It, it the still thing means that emmer- it, time emerges from or anything like that. No, 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 no. It, that was kind of what I thought it meant. No, no. It, it's
1: it. it's uh, it's an orderly structure in time as opposed to an ordered structure in space, okay. which is why it, it's called a crystal.
0: And it. Re- okay. And yeah. so. Okay. Yeah, I mean. I'm trying to figure out what question to ask. I'm not sure if I have any good questions to ask. It's it's a tough one because I'm not exactly an expert
1: on this thing, right? Uh, that's why what? I, yeah, but that was my best way to explain what that is because I don't think any good any article really had a good example of that. Um, the the show that I support, Space Time, did a really good like uh, thing about it, so I recommend you watch that. Okay, that's better uh, than anything I can do. Those are time crystals. Awesome. Uh, as long as we're talking about uh, symmetries and that kind of thing. Do you want to discuss U1 gauge invariance? That sounds exciting. Uh, Let's do it. This is actually... So, okay, when, when we talk about... Uh, don't get scared. Don't get scared. Please. We've talked about momentum being conserved. Right? And momentum being conserved means that there is some... Uh, by Noether's theorem, uh, there is some symmetry there. In order for something to be, if, if there's some symmetry in a system, then there's some <coughs> underlying aspect being conserved. Uh, so, since there is momentum being conserved, you know, then there is that some aspect of the system <coughs> that's symmetry is uh, uh, linear uh, translation symmetry. So basically spatial transition symmetry. So it means that it, it basically means that if you take something and you move the entire system to another place, okay. uh, that, that linear, you know, it doesn't matter. The system will still operate the same way. Uh, that is with angular momentum. That's rotational symmetry that's being preserved. You can rotate something and it works. Like, you, you make something face north, it's the same as makes something face south. There's rotational symmetry to the system. That is why angular momentum is concerned. Uh, we talked about... Energy, conversa- energy uh, conservation is based on time translation symmetry, which is, you take something on Tuesday, it works the same as on Thursday, and that leads to energy being conserved. Charge. Charge is concerned. What is the symmetry behind that? That is U1 gauged in <laughs> Awesome. What does that mean? What the hell is U1 gauge invariance? U1 is a type of group. It's called a unitary group. And really, so a group has to do with linear algebra. A group is just a uh, a way of ordering numbers, a way of putting numbers together. Uh, and the point of U1 is the most simple group. It's a circle. essentially what this means roughly is that at every point in space, there's a circle that's touching all the other circles at every other point in space. And if there's some change affecting one of these circles and it propagates to the other circles. So gauge gauge theories have to do with this very interesting concept, which is that if you, and really this comes down to, you can think about this like Newton's, uh, Third law. If for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, there's a restoring force that occurs whenever there's a force. So when you push on something, it pushes back. This, the U1 gauge, U1 gauge is the model for electromagnetism. Okay. When there's a charge, there's an equal charge, you know, there's an equal pushback. Mm-hmm. So essentially this means that, you know, when you push on the circle, the, uh, the other circles are going to push back. That's really what this means. Um... And that concept of those those circles, those abstract circles, and what defines in particle physics what uh, what we consider the electromagnetic field. Now there are other things because when you get into the weak, that's something called SU to the special unitary groups. Uh, they're special because their determinant is one that you, know, you don't have to worry about that. But they have... It, so this is just a circle. It just has one aspect to really worry about. Uh, in SU2, there are th- three aspects. Those relate to the three uh, SU2 bosons, which mix and ultimately form the, uh, the W and Z bosons. And then there's SU2... or Sorry, as SU3... And that is the uh, strong force. That's how we do the strong force. And that has eight aspects. And those eight aspects are the gluons. This this is a mathematical way that we have of describing things, and it worked really well. And and it's just this really relatively simple theory of gauges, of this gauge theory where there is a force and there is a counterbalancing force. And if you think about that in that way, that means that if you do it, if you do some sort of transition, then there's an opposite transition that keeps things steady. That is invariance. That is very much like what we learned from relativity, right? Where there is you, you have to keep some concept invariant uh, to understand how to trans- translate from one to another. And this, this it's this gauge concept. Okay. So what that led me to think about was the quantum eraser. The quantum eraser. So are you familiar you're familiar with the double slit experiment? Mhm.
0: Sure.
1: You just, you know, fire electrons at a double slit and it makes that, you know, wave pattern. Mhm. So the quantum eraser is this idea that you fire electrons and you split them into various ways. Uh, we we talked about before how if you don't look at the data, it doesn't affect it until you look at it. This is the concept behind the quantum eraser, which is that you can, if you don't look at the data, then it's all scrambled. Like it, it's and only when you look at one aspect of the data does the other part of the data come out. So. Okay. The weird thing about that is that it's it's time delayed. You can you can either decide to randomly in this experiment look at the data or not look at the data, but look at whether these uh, these entangled particles, which it turns out have gone have gone through one of the slits, in which case you then know the other one has gone through a slit, or you don't look at it. If you look at the data, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter when it happens; it could be way after the event. If you look at the data, then you see the traditional frills that you're looking at. If you don't look at the data, then you just see a steady distribution. Like, <laughs> well, if you don't look at the data, if you don't look at the at the data from, so okay, so it splits up it takes these particles that you would do in a double slit mm-hmm. and entangles them. It, it makes an entangled particle pair mm-hmm. out of them. So then it makes a double slit out of out of the entangled particle of one of the entangled particle pairs and makes a double slit out of the other entangled particle pair. The idea being that if you, because we talked about how in the first one, in, in the very first example, if you take put a, a, um, a device in here to look at whether something is being observed or not, then it will it will remove the interference pattern. But this is you have it you take these entangled particles and they hit the the receiver before you decide whether to look at the other particles. The other the other half of, of the system, really. okay. and if you look at the other half of the system, that determines what you should see on on, on the first half of the system. Sure. But you're doing that well after the fact that they've hit the, the receiver. It doesn't matter. They're, you can look at them well after. You can look at them at the same time. The same thing is going to happen. If you don't look at... If you don't measure the, uh, the entangled pair, then you're going to get the interference pattern. If you do measure the entangled pair, then you're going to get the traditional pattern you would expect regardless of what time the measurement occurred. Okay. So what this led me to think about was the concept of gauge invariance in time with the time crystal concept. We in effect the, 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 so when you do the push and it pushes back that's it happens mm-hmm. at the same time. Okay. Right, so we're we're used to that, mm-hmm. but with this, we've sort of split apart the, the concept, such that you can. Uh, it doesn't matter when it happens in time. It only matters that it occurred at some point, and then the information. Because you can only get the other information. You can't like you can't get the information about this. What pattern it's in before you do the other measurement because it's scrambled. You don't know what is what. What what it's it's in it's encrypted essentially. You don't know what relate what relates to what until you do, until you parse out that measurement with the other part. But what this implies is that there's a there's a kind of gauge invariance in time that there, the push back in time is retarded. I mean retarded delayed. No, it's stupid. <laughs> uh, and that is I. I don't know if if I did a good job explaining it to you. That's fascinating to me.
0: I get some of it, but uh,
1: no, because not, it, not as
0: well as you do.
1: It it leads to the concept that, and I, I'm not sure this is right. This is just my sort of interpretation of, of what's going on. Uh-huh. But it means that time is not really that important. It's just another gauge field. It's just mm-hmm. another another way that symmetries are being preserved. And that, that makes sense from the way that we've developed to look at the world.
0: Okay.
1: That this sort of gauge symmetry is, is going to be there, particularly with you know the various different invariances that are, around us. I find that awesome and uh, and the kind of thing that would have creeped me out before I learned more about this stuff. The idea that time is that malleable okay. uh, but really it's it's that there's a restoring to me at least. Mm-hmm. There's a restoring force in time just like there was a restoring force when you push something. There's a restoring force to all these gauge fields and time is just acts as another gauge field. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. sorry I understood as best I could but not nearly enough to ask any
1: good questions okay um okay so this is that (laughs) same song I think what, what it leads to is the concept that that uh because we, we think of things as objects this is a glass, is mm-hmm. a particle but it really leads to the idea that information is more fundamental than objects it's, there's some there's some kind of something more fundamental which is the, the information mm-hmm. about something and that's what's being preserved and the objects themselves are just kind of how we are interpreting them okay yeah, did that uh, I was having some conversations with some theists. Oh, fun! Regarding how how can order come from chaos is essentially what they were asking, and my thing that I tried to point to was resonance, uh, in particular orbital resonance, because everyone can sort of understand that. I think where these chaotic systems eventually become resonant over time, just because of the forces that are involved. A good example is our moon, the Galilean moons of Jupiter, are great (laughs) examples of of orbital resonance where they were initially chaotic systems, but because of the forces involved, they they became a resonant system. Um, It's naturally going to happen, and and things that that, uh, that this is kind. Of, it's it's it is a gauge theory. Gravity is a gauge theory as well, and things that upset that are going to be kicked out. Just like the time crystals, right? Things that try to upset that crystal thing are pushed out when when the when the structure when the crystal structure is is strong. Okay. Things that that are going to upset that resonance are kicked out when the resonance is strong. And when it's establishing itself, there's, it's, it's a whole bunch of chaotic stuff. So things probably got kicked out of the Jupiter system before that mm-hmm. resonance was, was set up. Sure,
0: I mean almost certainly, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, part of you know three-body interactions is one of them gets ejected out of the right. system. So,
1: uh, so that. And then, you know, it's much more complex when you're talking about a five-body interaction and then you have to include the sun and all the other planets and, you know, you get perturbation theory is what helps you out with that, but uh, you're still dealing with a lot of a lot of interactions. Some are smaller than others, but they all have some effect. And I think that the, the, the lesson is that order naturally, naturally comes from chaos. Uh, it's just... There is going to be more cha- It's going to introduce more chaos to the system around it, and then the the order system is going to be in a more. It's going to be a fa- more favorable energetic system.
0: So yeah, it's going to be a localized, right,
1: like, or uh, organized system. Mm-hmm. But it's going to introduce more chaos. And that's
0: how it doesn't break like entropy right. principles and things like that. Right.
1: Because if there is if if there is a fundamental concept in modern science that if you break it, it will destroy modern science. It is the second law of thermodynamics. <clears throat> there is nothing that can break that, and if there was, that would break everything. That would really make us question everything we know. Right. Even you could you could find some way to, to get around relativity. You could find some way to get around lots of different things. And maybe kind of explain what we understand, but getting around the second law of thermodynamics, I don't know how you do that. I really don't know how you explain the world around us without that.
0: Right. I hear you. Go show. Sure. <laughs> I can keep talking. Oh, uh, I don't know what else I have. Oh, so Ellie had her friend birthday party today. You know, because of our schedules and soccer everything. She take well, the biggest problem with scheduling her birthday parties is with the winter indoor season. It's like the same. It's like the week after the new schedules come out. So like we can't plan ahead. So we just had her birthday. Party. It was uh, ice skating, and she invited her entire soccer team and her entire class. And thirteen kids showed up. two of the kids have never ice skated before.
1: Ah, oh, that's fun,
0: So I was out there like like a bunch of the kids more than more than two wanted like the walkers at the beginning. you know I got them weaned uh-huh. up walkers, but two of them you know took extra training and man, I am sure glad I taught my kids to ice skate before they were as big as third graders. I
1: I didn't learn to ice skate until because I, I never learned to ice skate and then I I learned to rollerblade and then that led me to understand how to ice skate.
0: Yeah, I I, I went ice skating a few times in like junior high, mm-hmm. but kind of was just a wallflower, you know, yeah. type thing. Never, and then same kind of thing. I got some rollerblades, got the basics down there, and you know, I mean, I, I still can't skate backwards. I still mm-hmm. can't you know do a hockey stop you know like where you spray yeah. up the snow or but anything. you
1: get the but your your body is trained enough to understand yeah i mean i
0: can go fairly fast i can cross over the funny thing like when i was rollerblades i could cross over and do a right hand turn easy peasy but i could never get on the outside of my left skate and do left crossovers like on rollerblades never ever and then over the last two years or so, where I've been ice skating with the kids, I've finally been able to do crossovers to the left now, so I can do those either direction. Um, I can't do backwards crossovers. If I skate backwards, it's it's super slow, just yeah. kind of doing a couple push-offs here and there. Um, and then one of Ali's friends who was there uh, plays hockey, so he's pretty good. I'm like, hey, teach me how to stop. I never learned how to stop mm-hmm. but you know third, you the third graders aren't really you know able to give me the tips right. I need to know it's to hard make to explain stop. that
1: yeah. And you know it's hard to explain that just within, between adults much less yeah. a kid trying to tell you yeah
0: Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time with those two kids a boy and a girl that uh, hadn't escaped the boy I felt was so bad for him he, there, so there was four boys at Alex's party and two of them we like play hockey, had their own skates, and were really good. They kind of hung out together. One of the other boys was hanging out with a bunch of the girls, but this guy was kind of like by himself, like loner, and not able to skate. Felt so bad. Like I, I saw me, you yeah. know, you know, right? So like I was over giving him some tips. There was one time where he was skating up towards Allie and a bunch of the kids, and he fell down. And I could see. So like I skated between him and the group of the kids, so they couldn't see if he, you know, was. Start, I, he didn't cry, but you know, it looked like he might be starting to cry. So I kind yeah. of blocked it, blocked the view so he could have some privacy and stuff. <laughs> I just, I really felt bad for the kid. I saw so much of awkward me mm. in him. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, ice skating is yeah, it's it's not something you just, just. Oh, and he was wearing shorts.
0: Why would you send your kid who's never gone ice skating to the ice rink in shorts? Maybe he was stubborn and refused to wear pants. But it's like oh, that was just a bad idea. <laughs>
1: But it's it's hard. I mean, it took me a while to learn how to how to rollerblade, and then mm-hmm. once I did that, it you know came relatively naturally to understand how to skate. But that yeah. does not it doesn't come naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, you have to learn it.
0: Yeah, they both picked it up pretty well. I mean, they they got the the basics. Uh, I'm not saying I'm the best ice skating teacher out there, but. I was, I was happy with the results that the I saw. Kids thought. are so flexible, too. Yeah. I got to, they got to the point where I'm like, okay, you're doing it well enough. Now comes the part where you just have to put in the time to learn how your balance works. You know, to, to figure out how not to be so wobbly. Right, you yeah. know? You, but you're not going to short-circuit that. You need to spend a few hours out here.
1: Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting thing that I saved somebody saying universal expansion behaves almost exactly the same as if the universe remained the same size and it was matter that was shrinking it's a good way to help people conceptualize the big bang I think okay so think about the universe staying the same size Mm -hmm. but matter shrinks that's the same thing as the universe expanding so if the question is what is it expanding into you can just say well just think about it as if the universe staying the same and matter is shrinking what's it shrinking into it's just shrinking into the universe Mm mm-hmm there's no thing it's shrinking into it's just right. shrinking and so that's that explains mm-hmm. I, I think it's an interesting way to, to look at it because it, it, it it's the same thing right? mm-hmm. fundamentally the math is exactly the same is it exactly the same yeah hmm. okay the stuff that's still bound close together is still mm-hmm. going to stay bound together the stuff that's further sure. away is going to stay further away and it's soft cool. going still shrink At a regular
0: rate. Well, that's the part where I think the math might not be the same, right? Think of you know, think of the raisin bread analogy, mm-hmm. right? You know, the raisins get further apart, but the raisins don't get bigger. If you talk about everything shrinking, those raisins are getting smaller in, in the way it's described.
1: Right, but but the point is that the the raisin bread and the raisin bread example, it gets bigger. So people naturally think, Well, where does it go? because it's getting bigger, has to go somewhere, has to be, has to get bigger.
0: Inside. It goes into non bread space. Right? But no, but there the universe, is, no well, non- we
1: don't know that space. there is non-bred space.
0: That's the thing. Well, well we, um, in The Loaf of Bread, you know there's non bread space.
1: But, conceptually, that's hard for people to think, because naturally we think, okay, if something's expanding, it's expanding into something. But we say, no, it's not expanding anything, it's just expanding. That doesn't give people an idea, whereas I think that the the shrinking analogy. Oh,
0: okay. I was thinking of it wrong. So if you take the bread analogy, then the raisins are still univor- uniformly spaced, but they're getting smaller. So the the increased distance between them and the next raisin is due to the decrease in that diameter. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same? This still doesn't seem exactly the same to me, like math-wise. It's the same because the distance between objects is getting larger.
1: Right. But, but, no, but objects no, that are compressed as... together are not going to get as distant as objects that are far apart.
0: Right, but see to, to me where the math can't be exactly the same is if the raisins are shrinking they only have a certain diameter and the only increase in distance between the two raisins. Well, okay, is the, the difference, the difference the is diameter. that
1: the raisins in the raisin analogy don't have mass and aren't attracting each other as this expansion is happening. Whereas in the gravitation in, in the big in, in the universal analogy, the stuff that is close to each other is attracting each other and keeping each other.
0: Well, close to me together. that's that's the different bits of the raisin, right? The raisin is the local group of bound material. No. Not
1: in the raisin bread example, because in the raisin bread example there's nothing actually keeping the raisins
0: bound to each other. There's just the Well no 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 no. Different raisins are different galaxies, different okay. regions of space. The raisin is the galaxy, the th- the entity that is right. gravitationally bound to each but other. But I'm
1: saying that a group of raisins together is going to stay roughly together even as expansion happens in the universe because those those raisins are have a right. force that what i'm saying
0: in- is you have you have a raisin on the left side of the loaf of bread mm-hmm. universe you have a raisin on the right side of the loaf of bread yes. universe now if your raisins were if 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 the loaf of bread is expanding the raisins are going to get further apart Now, if the loaf of bread is staying the same and the raisins are shrinking, the increased distance is only that reduction in in diameter of the raisins. Right. That's exactly the same. As the increase in
1: distance of, increase in size of the universe. Sure. Okay. It's fundamentally equivalent.
0: It's it's like, but you're not going to get anything, but how does that account for like the, the additional spatial increase across wider expanses of space. if it, it doesn't because you're not calculating with the Raisin brand, how... Well, right, because it's, it's... I mean, but... Okay, you can go back to the universe where galaxies are shrinking. There's still... The, the center of each galaxy is still exactly as far apart as it was at the beginning of the experiment. The center... No, so the center because... Of each galaxy... If, if matter is shrinking... Right, right. The center points of the two galaxies aren't going to change from each other. No, they're not going to change. But so how, that can't be exactly the same as the universe expanding, where they're getting further apart.
1: Well, they it can be, because the distance between them is still... Because the, the size of the center of the galaxy is... You're, you're thinking of them as points, but you can't think of them as points with this analogy. You've to think of them as the size itself, is the radius is getting smaller and smaller. So
0: No, all I'm saying is you said is exactly the same, mathematically. Right. And it, it's not. It can't be. Well, no, because the, the analogy isn't good. Matter shrinking. Right. But I'm saying the center points of two galaxies are going to stay equidistant apart in that matter shrinking analogy. Where in the universe right. expanding, is you know the further apart they are, the more rapidly they get apart from each other. That the matter shrinking analogy, because you're not talking about running the clock. You're backwards. talking about individual you're- points, and the points themselves stay equidistant,
1: but the rest of of it goes gets smaller. Sure, okay, yes. If, if you look at it from that perspective, <coughs> but from the perspective of anything. <laughs> living in that space, anything living on those
0: reasons, it would be the same.
1: Anything that has dimensionality, it would be the same.
0: I, I tend to... I, I, the point I'm disagreeing on is that the... When you and me and our telescope shrink...
1: And that's why this guy said almost exactly, not exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: so... I would say almost... I would say almost a little bit exactly <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like barely, <laughs> because that whole distance between two far-flung regions, right? The the increased distance if you're on the surface of the Earth and I'm on the surface of Fubar,
1: but it, okay, and, and wait, the Earth Fubar. If I'm getting smaller, then essentially the distance between me and something else is going to get larger. Well, okay, so... yeah, no, yeah, because I'm getting smaller and smaller as I'm traveling, which means that. The oh, so your
0: foot gets smaller. You get, okay, so I was thinking, okay, so if your yardstick is getting smaller, that makes more sense. Yeah. So, the you see where I was hung up yeah, at, right? Yeah, right. I, what I do, I exactly. Say,
1: That's why I was able to figure out, what okay. I was,
0: yeah. What I was going to say is, you're on the surface of Earth, I'm on the surface of Fubar. And we're on the surfaces facing each other. And now, you, me, Earth, and Fubar all shrink. Uh-huh the only increased distance between you and me is the reduction in diameter right, of the but like,
1: Right, but like, but as explained, my ruler is shrinking. Yeah.
0: So, well, that, yeah. Yes. Okay, if the ruler shrinks, I'm more amenable to this yeah. proposition.
1: <laughs> cool. Maybe anything else really?
0: I think it's a good way to wrap it up.
1: Alright. Ding! Ding!
0: Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.